Hey everyone, I'm Jen Garrett and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up and move the ball. Hey everyone, it's Jen Garrett here. I'm excited to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. So we are still in the summer and what do people especially enjoy during the warmer months? Ice cream. Now that doesn't mean you can't eat ice cream all year round, which I will admit that I do, but I do work out every day. So I tell myself it's okay to have that treat here and again. But why am I bringing up ice cream on today's episode? Well, that's because today inside the huddle with us and ready to help us move the ball, is a gentleman by the name of Doug Boughton. Now, Doug happens to be the co-founder of Halo Top. That's right, Halo Top, uh, the ice cream that you see in the stores. He currently serves as the CEO of Halo Top International. Halo Top International exclusively licenses the Halo Top brand for all countries outside of the U.S. and Canada, and it's sold in more than 25 countries, including the U.K., Germany, Australia, and Korea. Now, prior to Halo Top, Doug worked as a corporate attorney, and he got his law degree from the University of Virginia at Charlottesville. And that means that he is a diehard UVA sports fan. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jen. Well, thanks so much for being here with us. I'm really looking forward to talking today. You've got a great experience with the business that you've built, and I'm just really looking forward to you sharing your insights with us. And being that you are a UVA alum, I know we've talked about before, it's a beautiful campus out there. Charlottesville is a beautiful area, and I loved my time there. Uh, The Army, as you and I talked about, has the only ABA-accredited law school uh, in the DOD on the UVA campus. And so I was just very blessed to be able to spend quite a bit of time on that campus. Yeah, I love it. it's a great campus. I can't speak highly enough about it. Yes, yes, it is. I, I, I always look forward to the opportunities to go back. So let's start off talking about our conversation in a way that you're, you've been on a lot of podcasts. And so people always ask you about you left your corporate attorney job behind to create Halo Top. You met your co-founder, Justin, through a basketball league. Tell our listeners about that story and how all of this came to be. Yeah, sure. So uh, again, if for those who aren't familiar, I essentially went to law school at UVA, as you said. Uh, I graduated law school and moved out to Los Angeles. I didn't know a soul out there. Frankly, I just wanted to live on the beach. LA and the West Coast seemed as good of a place as any to do that. So I picked up and I moved out there and worked at a law firm for about a year. I realized very quickly uh, that I did not want to do that and was kind of looking for any way to get out I could. And, you know, the word hustle kind of uh, is ingrained in me. So my parents, to their credit, really, I think, instilled kind of the power of the dollar in in me. And and I knew if I wasn't happy at something, you know, I could just get out, do something else and, and make money a different way. So for me, it was really as soon as I knew I didn't want to practice law at a big law firm, it was like, it was, what else am I going to do? I actually did for a period of time. I opened up my own law practice. And this is while I was working at Halo Top early on just to earn some extra income. But Justin uh, Wolverton, the CEO and founder of Halo Top, he and I met in a lawyer basketball league. So when I was still a lawyer, he was actually still a lawyer at a different law firm. And we were just friends. And as I was uh, quitting the law firm, uh, he had uh, essentially started Halo Top in his home kitchen. And it was getting to the point Uh, where he needed to bring on a business partner to help scale it up and make it bigger. That's right around the time, you know, timing is everything. That's right around the time when I was quitting my law firm. So 
uh, it worked out. Uh, he asked me to join and, and I agreed. And that would have been in, in really early 2013, which was our first full operational year. And talk to us about what was that first 90 days being an entrepreneur like for you? Exhilarating. Uh, so I think there's a, there, I don't know if you're familiar, there's, uh, I always go back to this chart and it, it talks about like when you first take the leap and go, your, your adrenaline is going, you're, you're so fired up to be working for yourself, doing what you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it, that that lasts for a period of time. Then it wears off and, and you hit, I think what they term in the charts is like the valley of despair or the trough of despair. <laughs> which we absolutely hit and we can get into that in a bit. But once that wears off, you then, you know, you realize you, you've got to grind day in and day out for weeks, months and years, really, uh, for most entrepreneurs. And and there's still no guarantee that it'll, it'll yield the result you want at the end of the day. So th- that was the hardest part is once you get past that honeymoon phase of, hey, I'm not working at a law firm. This is great. I can, you know, go work out when I want or I can go eat when I want or I can make whatever weekend or, or evening plans I want. Once that kind of wears off and, and you wake up every day and you're, you're grinding day in and day out and your your idea or your startup doesn't take off immediately, it becomes hard. That, that's that's a tough time. Oh, yes. I, I believe it. I've been there. Uh, so I'm in year one of my entrepreneurial journey. But, you know, I'm, I'm an attorney as well. I worked in the corporate world and I made a big leap at the end of the year. And I just realized that today that we're recording is the nine month anniversary of me being on this entrepreneurial wow. journey. And uh, Thank you. And, you know, it is it, it's into the it's great to have the freedom, you know, the like, yeah, I control my schedule. But you're always working like the last few nights I've been up till one, one thirty every day working feels great. I'm enjoying it. It's my passion, but it's not, it is not a nine to five job. That's for sure. Yeah. You work a lot many more hours than in the corporate world. It's, it's a double-edged sword in that sense. You care so much about it. it it's your baby and, and you, you pour everything you have into it, your, your heart, your blood, sweat, and tears that you're absolutely right. You know, I, I remember, you know, I, I'd wake up, I still do, you know, sometimes I'll just pop up at like 4am wide awake with, you know, my mind's racing about something going on with the business that, for whatever reason, my mind and body say, get up and go handle this now, which is not the healthiest uh, thing to do. But um, so I get it. I think a, a lot of entrepreneurs are wired the exact same way as you. Yes. And so talk to us about the, the first year is always a tough year. As you get more momentum, it seems to be, I don't want to say easier. It's not easier, but you feel like, yes, I'm making progress, bringing in revenue, but getting going is always tough. And so talk to us about the rest of that first year. How did you guys stay focused as an entrepreneur? You pivot all the time, right? Depending on your customer feedback, uh, environmental factors in COVID. I've pivoted quite a bit. I'm sure you guys have pivoted in some ways as well. So talk to us about that first year and the struggles and how did you keep going? Yeah. And I'll say uh, we were fortunate that uh, we did not found our startup amidst a, a global pandemic. I cannot imagine uh, the curveball that th- that throws to you and other entrepreneurs that, that are at your stage. So uh, credit to you and the other ones out there who are persevering, to your point, are pivoting and, and are, you know, frankly, just figuring it out. That, that's what it's about at the end of the day. For us, though, our story. So year one, uh, 2013, that was Again, kind of, I'm, I'm going to call it a honeymoon year in a sense. We weren't really at many stores. So there wasn't a benchmark to say we were kind of selling the idea and the concept more than sales. I'll get into why that was an issue later on. But so that year, we got to raise money and we, we raised about $500,000. It closed in September of 2013. And we started to sell into different accounts, including Sprouts Farmers Market. That was our biggest one. It was a couple hundred stores uh, in and around the Southwest region of the US. 
but we hadn't been in stores long enough or really in enough stores where people were benchmarking our sales like hey did you grow from last year that always becomes the challenge as you as you keep going so we didn't have that pressure in year one because we were benchmarking against zero in sales basically problem was in year two and year three those were the really difficult years for us because now we're benchmarking against year one sales aren't going nearly as well as they should. Uh, we had to reformulate the product entirely. We rebranded the product entirely, to your point. Uh, we pivoted our retail strategy in terms of just going for kind of Whole Foods and Sprouts and, and those more organic or natural stores to actually looking at Kroger and, and some of the more conventional uh, stores, which was a big pivot for us at the time. But those years two and three, when, again, we were getting discontinued at a lot of stores, our customer retention was not great. The customer experience uh, with the product was not great. And that, that was a tough time because you've worked so damn hard and you put so much into it and you're just not getting that traction. You're, you're not getting uh, you're not getting the result. And, and no matter if you're going through the right process, no matter if you're the smartest, hardest worker, that's not enough. <laughs> At the end of the day, you, you, you need some breaks as well. And uh, we can get into it. But we ultimately got got a few breaks starting in 2016 that fortunately kind of put us on on a growth curve where the results started coming. And so go ahead, let's get into it. Tell us what was that break in 2016 that really helped give you some momentum? Yeah, sure. So January 2016, a great article came out uh, for us. It was this guy who was writing for GQ, the magazine. I think the headline, if I remember correctly, was what it's like to eat this magical, healthy ice cream for 10 days straight. You know, catchy headline. It was it was kind of clickbaity. And even if you weren't in into ice cream, it's an interesting enough kind of article uh, that you click on it and you'd read it. And it was GQ, a, a massive publication. And ultimately, the guy wrote literally ate nothing but Halo Top for 10 days, which is not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> but he wrote this really funny, witty, catchy uh, article uh, about his experience, kind of like journaling through each of the 10 days. And it was a really flattering article at the end of the day for us, for the product and for the brand. It put millions of eyeballs on it. Uh, we weren't in every store, but we were in enough stores where, you know, somebody wouldn't have to drive 200 miles to get us. They, it might not be at your neighborhood grocery, but, you know, maybe it's at one a few blocks down the street uh, from that one. So we were in enough stores where we could capitalize on the press. And a week later, BuzzFeed, another big publication, uh, they did a taste test of Halo Top against Haagen-Dazs uh, and against another brand at the time was way bigger than us. And again, we did extremely well in that blind taste test, even I think outperformed Haagen-Dazs on a couple of flavors. Uh, so within a week of each other, both of those publications hit, put millions of eyeballs on the product. Uh, we were in enough stores where, where people could go and find us. And then it was kind of word of mouth from there because at the time, it's hard to imagine now because there's so many competitors in this space, but we really were the first and the only one. People couldn't, you know, wrap their heads around the idea that, oh, my God, it's, you know, 300 calories for the entire tub versus, you know, 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 that you see with Ben and & Jerry's and haagen -Dazs. And again, maybe it doesn't taste quite as good as them, but it also, you know, it didn't taste terrible. It didn't taste like punishment. It, it wasn't, I don't like salad, so it wasn't like eating a salad, which, you know, I need to do for health reasons, but uh, I certainly don't enjoy it usually, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes. As you're saying, I just had a salad for lunch. My mom was like, are you trying to lose weight? Is that why you're eating a salad? And I'm like, no, I actually, I, I like eating salads. So my wife loves it. My <laughs> wife loves it. To each their own. I just, for me, you know, a cheeseburger and fries, I, I do that every day if I could. Gotcha. So talk to us. And we were chatting early, like no matter how much experience that you have working in the corporate world, I mean, I, I spend 
almost two decades working in big companies, Fortune 50 companies. I have an MBA. I'm a lawyer. Like, I'm like, I'm ready for this. I know, like, I have a plan, right? Let's go. And the plan never goes as planned, or it doesn't, the business doesn't go as planned. Things happen. You pivot like no amount of experience from your own corporate world is going to prepare you for the entrepreneurial journey. It is like none other. And if you have not experienced it, then you don't fully appreciate what people talk. I mean, it's incredible at times and it's also very challenging, lots of headaches, banging against the wall, you know, more metaphorically than literally <laughs> but uh, but it's, literally though <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's it is an experience like no other so what were some of the eye opening experiences for you as you began this entrepreneurial path you you touched on so many things there that i think are really really important and really valuable i call them armchair operators whether it's private equity or vc or or honestly anybody else who hasn't operated who who hasn't been an entrepreneur and been in the trenches to experience that firsthand, just like you're saying, it, it's tough for me. If you haven't gone through that, you know, I, I think it's really difficult to be able to like, you know, I don't want to say to have an opinion on it because you can have an opinion, but to actually be able to like provide valuable advice. I think that's really difficult unless you've operated for a period of time. And, and to your point, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm type A. I think a lot of people are pretty type A who, who get into this where, you know, uber organized, you know, uber focused and, and, and great work ethic and, and all of that. But to your point, you can have a clear plan, but you better have, you know, 10 different ways to pivot that plan. And ultimately, for me, it comes down to control what you can control. And I still work at this. I think everybody has to. It's, it's not something that comes naturally because it's so easy to lose focus of that and, and to start worrying about the results and a lot of things that are outside of your control. And then also to say, hey, if something happens in this plan, there's a hundred different ways it could go wrong. So now you could spend all of your time trying to think of the hundred different pivots you could make and all the ways you could mitigate and this and that. Or you could, you know, basically say, look, I think this is the best path forward right now. Let me put my head down. Let me go task by task, you know, what there is to do. Let me do the 10 things in front of me. Then I'm going to pick my head up. I'm going to see where I'm at and see if I need to pivot from where I was last week or last month or last quarter, whatever it may be. You kind of break it down into those increments. So that's how I ultimately approached it. And I think it's one of those things when you think about everything that you have to do as an entrepreneur to honestly, even to, to do it for nine months uh, like you've done so far, that's an incredible accomplishment. And I, I, I can imagine everything you've had to do to, to found it, to keep it going, to you know, and obviously to continue to keep it going beyond that. I think a lot of people outside looking in would be like, oh my God, how did you do the literally 1 million things you've had to do, small and big, to make this thing work for, for a year or whatever it may be? But I don't think it's rocket science if you break it down into those kind of manageable increments where you say, look, I did 10 things on Monday. I did 10 things on Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And again, after a day, a week, a month, uh, whatever it may be, you kind of pick your head up and say, all right, where did I think I was going to be? Where am I at now? And what, if anything, do I need to change about my direction? Yeah, I like that. Especially when you're starting off, you have these big aspirations, right? Like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then it starts off and it doesn't take off as quickly as you want. And you're like, oh, okay. But it it can be easy to lose motivation. But when you kind of step away from the bigger goal and break down, like, what do I need to do every day, every week to continue to make that incremental movement, that incremental progress, it makes it easier to not feel overwhelmed and then just want to give up. Yeah, I would say to the extent I'm psychotic about practicality. 
I try to not waste one second of time with academic or theoretical debates. Uh, there's not enough time in the day. All I care about is what's practical for the business. What can we actually accomplish and work, put all of my time and effort into that. I think that's critical because you can really, you know, go down, you can waste a lot of time and resources kind of going down the rabbit hole, like I said, of theorizing about this or that, or having an academic debate about this or that. If it doesn't have practical relevance to your business, save that, <laughs> like to only focus on what, what actually has a practical application to what you're doing. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, wasting time or not wasting time. I think as an entrepreneur too, like you realize the importance of every single minute, every oh, yeah. second. Whereas when you're in the corporate world, you're still getting a paycheck. Unless you're a 100% commission person, like yeah. you don't necessarily appreciate every single second, every minute, and you have to be very intentional. And you know, too, as a mom, right? I'm a dad as well. It's not like this is the only thing in your life, even if it's a really, really important thing in your life. You know, you, you have other obligations and responsibilities. So, yeah, I mean, time is money, but also it's the most important thing when it comes to, you know, your family, your friends and, and all that other stuff that is incredibly important to giving you the foundation, hopefully to weather the storm uh, that will absolutely come as an entrepreneur or storms, I should say, because um, you really need that foundation and that support uh, to lean on from time to time to kind of get you through the rough times. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'll say that as I've pivoted in in this last four or five months, having the right teammates along with you as well is absolutely critical because as I was getting ready to go on the entrepreneurial journey, so I hadn't uh, quit my job yet, I didn't have the right team yet there. And that was uh, very demotivating to, to know that you're paying people to help you build your brand and they're not doing what you expect to do. And so I think it's important to find the right talent, the right skill set to have with you on the journey. Did you ever have any in your early on stages, people that you brought on that didn't work out? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with, again, everything you said there. I, I kind of uh, hinted at this at one of our earlier conversations. No matter the industry, no matter the product, no matter the service, that so many entrepreneurs and startups face the same challenges. And hiring the right people quickly enough is always a challenge. We made plenty of mistakes. I, I think our, our, our first hire did not work out and for a variety of reasons, but it was one of those where I think I got caught up, as probably a lot of people do, in resumes and experience which I think are vastly overrated to hard work and, you know, a self-starter and a figure it out mentality. Cause I think 99% of what we do at least is not rocket science and, and absolutely can be taught and can be learned. So I don't care if somebody has 10, 15, 20 years of experience in a certain field where we have a need. I care more about, is this somebody who can roll their sleeves up, get their hands dirty and who's going to be there in the trenches, figuring it out, wearing multiple hats, and doesn't need kind of this fixed boxed in, you know, fortune 50 or fortune 500 type job in terms of their responsibilities. And I think that's, it's hard to find. And we absolutely made mistakes. And I think, again, fell into that. It's very easy to do, but fell into kind of the, I don't know, kind of the, the irony of thinking that, you know, hiring a, a marketing person with 10 years of experience from a big consumer packaged goods company is the right hire as opposed to hiring, you know, uh, a young 20 something who's really smart and works really hard and uh, will just figure it out. I think that's, that's what I've found and learned the hard way in a lot of ways. Agreed. So one of the things I wanted to chat with you about is you've gone through the experience of uh, raising capital, getting investors. Talk to us, what's that process like? And what advice can you share with some people who may be thinking about going that route with their business? 
It's painful. I hate raising money. Uh, I hate asking people uh, for money. But let me speak to our experience a little bit. We did two rounds of financing. We raised $500,000 in 2013 and we raised a million dollars in 2015. That's all of the equity capital uh, that we raised. We, we were really fortunate that cash flow from operations and ultimately debt financing, uh, just kind of traditional lending with traditional banks, was able to support growth from there. But for those two rounds, th- there's a million different ways to slice this. If you're a lawyer or if you talk to lawyers, I'm sure you're familiar with convertible notes or common equity or preferred equity or uh, safes. A lot of these instruments are created specifically for the tech space that I think a lot of the food startups grab onto. And uh, for us, though, I just kept it simple. We, we sold common equity. We you know, negotiated a valuation with the investors. Your valuation is what somebody will invest at. There's no science to it. It should be reasonable. You should be able to defend it, but you're not going to provide some formula that's two plus two equals four. Um, that's not how it works with privately held, highly speculative startup companies. So uh, usually the way it works is I would say if you're kind of pre-revenue, pre-product, you're probably in the 500000 to a million range. If you, you know, maybe have your product done, maybe a little bit of sales, you can probably be in that one to maybe five million range. And, you know, once you get up to a few hundred grand in sales, approaching a million in sales, you can probably play in that eight to 10 million range, just with my experience in terms of what, what investors would invest in. You know, from there, it's it's a numbers game, or at least it was for me. Um, I, I didn't have, you know, a single person that I could go to that could write a check. So we ended up with 49 people on our cap table, 49 investors. And uh, it's anywhere from 10000 bucks to, I think, 40000 bucks was the highest. But it's a lot of, you know, $20,000, $25,000 checks, which aren't small checks, but, you know, it doesn't go that far. You you know, when especially in our industry where, you know, we have to make it, we have to make a product and you have to pay for that product before you get paid on that product. So, you know, there's a working capital bottleneck there of cash where you need cash before you get paid um, for the product you make. And so twenty to 25000 doesn't go that far. So for us, again, it was that numbers game. So for every person who invested, I probably did at least four or five meetings for people who did not invest. So of the almost 50 investors, I probably did close to, you know, 200, 250 meetings, I bet. And you can imagine it's a full-time job and it, it's not generating revenue for your business. So it's not growing your business. It's obviously necessary for your business because you need capital. But, you know, that's a full-time job trying to actually grow your business. And you're also trying to raise money at the same time, which is a full-time job. So it's a really... It usually takes at least six months, sometimes upwards of nine to 12 months. And it's a really, really tough half year or full year um, if you're raising capital and growing your business at the same time. It's just there's not enough hours in the day. And, and it's it's something you have to do, though. But I'd be love you know happy to talk more about it if you have any specific questions or if I can help. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of no's before you get to yeses, right? And so how do you like just stay mentally focused and you got to deal with a lot of quote unquote rejection right, on the way to, to find those investors? So how, how did you deal mentally with that and prepare to just have that uh, energy to keep going? Because you're right, it is a it is a full time job to capital raise. You've got other operational things you're trying to do too, revenue generating activities, uh, trying to sell, open new doors. There's a lot more to do than just like it's not like, OK, I'm going to stay take this month and focus on capital raising and everything else stops, right? You have to do all these other things. So how did you just stay mentally uh, focused on trying to achieve the objective? 
I mean, so I'm of the mindset the worst somebody can do is say no. So I, I would take a meeting with anybody. And I never took it personally if they said no. You never know what people's circumstances are in, in terms of uh, their money or what they're going through. And honestly, you know, I definitely let it put a chip on my shoulder. You know, I'd, I'd let it be motivating if somebody said no. Again, I, I wouldn't, it wasn't like I was going to never talk to that person again or not be friends with them. But I, you know, in the back of my mind, the way I'm wired is like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm prove this asshole wrong. And they're going to they're gonna come back in five years and be like, man, what a mistake. That definitely motivated me a bit. But, you know, beyond that, it, you're selling yourself at that stage more than you are, are selling your product or your service. So, they call it friends and family for a reason. Most of the people know you personally, or at least know somebody who knows you personally. So it, it's an investment in you more so than an investment in Halo Top or in any other product or service that you're raising money for. So in terms of trying to increase your success rate, I, I knew I was selling myself as much as I was selling the concept and the idea of the company that was Halo Top. So but it was just one of those where like, I have thick skin, you know, I, I didn't care at all if, I mean, I cared because I wanted the money, but I wouldn't take it personally. If somebody said no, it's like, all right, on to the next one. You know, who, who's up next? If you say no, hey, no worries. Do you have anyone else in your network who might be interested? Let me know. You know, I'd talk to friends of friends of friends of friends, you know, who knows how many steps removed I went. <laughs> but like I said, I'd, I'd take any meeting I could get. It's not unlike selling into grocery stores. I did hundreds of meetings uh, with retailers and with grocery stores. And that hit rate was even worse. I bet you it was nine out of 10 uh, said no. Half of them wouldn't even take the meeting. The other half, you know, I'd do a meeting for 30 minutes and they'd be like on their computer doing emails, not even listening to me. And then one out of 10 would actually listen. They'd be engaged. They'd get the concept. They'd say, yeah, this makes sense. Let's give it a shot. You know, I guess that kept me coming back for more, so to speak. But yeah, you, you have to get used to rejection, whether it's from investors uh, or, or from buyers. Um, honestly, whether it's from manufacturers, same kind of thing. Um, th there's a lot of rejection that startups that you have to deal with in every phase of it. Absolutely. And I like that you, you talk about not taking it personally because you can't because then you'll just waste time, get discouraged. You'll sit there, you'll grab a tub of ice cream, maybe Halo Top, hopefully, <laughs> you know, instead of focusing on moving on to the next one, you just have to keep going. And I think it's important to remember too, that just because someone says no, it, it's not personal. Maybe it's not a good fit for them. Maybe they got other things going on. So keep going. And I, I like that you ask those people, well, who, is there someone else in your network? Maybe there's someone else that's yeah. a better fit, right? So ask the question. You, you have to have that courage to, to ask and see, you know, everyone knows other people and, and one or more of those people could be a fit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, just don't, definitely don't be shy about it. You know, the worst somebody can do is say no and just ask away. Yes, absolutely. So something else that you have great experience in it is Halo Top was actually acquired by another company. So you've been through the other side of this is selling your business uh, to somebody else. So talk to us about that acquisition process in my corporate uh, life. I, I did. I was on the other side, acquiring businesses, doing the due diligence and all that stuff. But what was it like being the entrepreneur that's looking at having your company bought by a, a larger brand? Yeah. So like you, um, I was a corporate attorney as well. So I had done uh, not many, but I had done a few M&A transactions, a few capital markets transactions like IPOs. So I, I was a little bit familiar with that side of it, the diligence uh, that goes into it, the bidding process. Um, but yeah, being on the other side is, uh, again, for us, it's this is our story. So it's probably in some ways unique to us, but we hadn't really taken chips off the table yet. So the stakes couldn't have been higher, if that makes sense, where you know you, you might think your company is worth X or people may say your company is worth X, but you know, that's what it's worth on paper. It's not worth anything until you get paid on it. 
that's a really stressful situation, uh, especially for me. You know, at the time, I married, had two kids, had a mortgage on our house, all that kind of stuff that you know I didn't have when <laughs> when I first started Halotop. I was single. You know, I had a couple hundred thousand in, in student loan debt, but it was just me. So I was like, look, if I go bankrupt, who cares? I'll file bankruptcy and reset after that. Not a big deal. Whereas now it's like, wait a minute, I, you know, you don't want to lose your house and all the other things that, that come with, you know, a, a spouse and, and kids and, and everything else. So for me, it was the summer of 2019. We sold or this deal closed September 27th, 2019. So really starting in April, May, uh, we were in sales mode and, and we were out there uh, soliciting bids, doing meetings with potential buyers. And then ultimately, once we received a bid, uh, going through the diligence process and fortunately getting to uh, a signed deal um, and then a closed deal. I, I can just tell you, I, I was coming apart at the seams. Um, I have never been so uh, stressed. I've never felt so overwhelmed, like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. We had over 100 employees at the time. You know, you feel responsible for them. Uh, you're still trying to grow the business and you still have to run the business as if you're not going to successfully sell because there's no guarantee that even a signed deal will close. So um, it, it's just an incredibly stressful time, especially if you haven't taken chips off the table financially, because then, you know, all, all your chips are, are in that one basket. And that's what, um, you know, you've essentially made a bet and you got to hope you got to hope beyond hope or do everything you can do to, to try to close that deal. Yes, absolutely. So let me ask you this. So one of the things I talk about in my book is focusing on the next first down. So what does the next first down look for look like for Halo Top International? That's a great question. So for us, it was really interesting. You know, the international business didn't come with the deal. So what happened with the deal was the company that bought us, they bought the US and the Canadian operations, uh, but they had no interest in the rest of the international business, which you know, did about 30 million in sales and was in, you know, north of 25 countries. So it wasn't small by any means. And it was something I kind of jumped at as an opportunity to say, wow, you know, I'm certainly not going to retire. Like I have a lot of energy and passion left and I, I want to do something. And I certainly would love to do something with Halo Top. And what a second chance this is to, to get that type of head start where I don't have to start from scratch, where you have real revenue, uh, you have a brand that has uh, real momentum and real legs internationally. Um, and there's a lot wrong. It was running at a multi-million dollar loss. Um, and and uh, obviously, the, the company that bought us wasn't assigning any value to it. If anything, they were assigning negative value because it would cost them money to shut down the international operations. So, uh, so I jumped at that opportunity. And then once I did, call it October 1st, a few days after close, we had the fourth quarter to essentially transition and untangle the international operations. And in terms of the next first down, uh, my business partner and I, uh, Justin Ball, another Justin, so it's confusing, but he and I essentially spent that fourth quarter saying, hey, what can we learn from what we called Legacy Halo Top? What can we do different? You know, it's the same product. It's the same brand. But we, we actually wanted to do quite a bit different uh, culturally uh, on, on the company side and, um, and kind of have a hard reset. And to your point, it very much was, let's break it down one first down at a time. Uh, the goal, obviously, is a touchdown or to win the game, but um, we didn't want to get ahead of ourselves. So we, we were very kind of methodical, and we, we looked at the people in the organization. Uh, we looked at some of the contracts that we had signed with some of our third parties, whether it be marketing, sales, analytics, manufacturing, um, et cetera, um, to even our strategic direction. You know, what are we trying to do? Um, why are we running at, at, at a massive annual multi-million dollar loss? And how do we 
course correct that as quickly as possible because um, essentially we didn't have a big parent company standing behind us to foot the bill anymore. So we had to stand on our own and, you know, reach profitability and cash flow positive territory as quickly as possible. It's kind of a throwback again to the early days of Halo Top or any startup just with a massive head start, like I said, and, and what a second chance that was. So, um, but that was it. I mean, it started with the control, which you can control and a lot of the internal stuff in, in terms of who are the right people. You said that, and that really resonated with us. And we were like, if we, if we do this again, we want to do it with the right people in the right places, you know, with the right attitude and the right mindset. Um, and that was a huge focus for us. Um, and, and then once we, you know, felt like we made a lot of progress there, then it was like, all right, you know, what, what countries do we want to be in? Right. We, we can't be everywhere at once because there's limited time and resources. So it was trying to come up with, you know, to better prioritize that or, or um, essentially instead of trying to do everything at once, which I think was, a, you know, our downfall, kind of too ambitious, if you will. Um, it was like, hey, let's let's still be incredibly ambitious, but let's actually be more laser focused. So instead of going, you know, mile wide and an inch deep let's go an inch wide, but a mile deep and, and let's really, um, you know, get, get the low hanging fruit out of there before we do anything else. So it was a number of things. It was, it was, um, again, in hindsight, it's been about nine months. Uh, I think so many different decisions and things went in there. I could probably talk about 10, 15, 20 different decisions that were incredibly important, but it, it, it largely centers around having the right team. Um, and man, the, the people, I am so unbelievably proud of the team that we've assembled. And I think it, it is such an all-star cast that, I mean, I, I, I just think we're building a machine um, that, that is going to be incredibly valuable um, in, in terms of what, what we can do and build in terms of, of products and brands uh, globally uh, and bringing them to market. That's amazing. Well, we'll be keeping uh, keeping up to date and seeing all the great things that you're doing with the international arm of, of Halo Top. Uh, so important question before I get to my two minute drill. What is your favorite flavor of Halo Top ice cream? Depends on the week. Not surprisingly. <laughs> um, believe it or not, though, I don't know if you've heard of this one. Uh, we have a flavor called strawberry cheesecake. It's got like a graham swirl with cheesecake pieces in there and a strawberry ice cream in it. That's the one that I've uh, just been devouring lately. So um, talk to me next month. It'll probably be something different, but that's where I'm at right now. Gotcha. I will have to pick that up. I've not tried that one yet, so I will definitely have to to try that one. Do you prefer to eat the ice cream or do you like the pops? Ooh, well, when the pop first came out, I was all over those because I'd gotten tired of eating just the ice cream. Um, now we just recently on the international side uh, reformulated uh, our base so it's um, incredibly smooth and creamy uh, and, and way creamier than it was um, at Legacy. And again, I can't speak to the U.S. product, but um, it's gotten me back on the ice cream. I'll put it that way. I, I've been uh, devouring tubs and tubs or pints and pints of ice cream again. Again, kind of like a throwback to the early days. Gotcha. So you're going to eat more salads then to balance it out, right? I'm going to have to. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what I want to do now is uh, switch to my two minute drill and just ask you seven fun questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. The first one is what is your favorite food aside from ice cream? So I'd have to go with soul food. So fried chicken, cornbread, mac and cheese, any of that goodness. That's uh, that's my favorite. Okay. How about what is your favorite movie? I go back and forth, but I'll probably go for these purposes. I'm going to go with love actually. How's that? I'm a romantic at heart. Okay. That's an older movie from yeah. uh, back in the day. How about what's your favorite professional sports team? <sighs> Has to be the Yankees. 
I'm a good person, so naturally I'm a Yankee fan. <laughs> but no, it has to be. I'm a diehard uh, Yankees fan and everything UVA sports. So professionally, it would have to be the Yankees. Okay. Uh, how about what's the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a coach or a mentor? It's a great question. Um, I've gotten so many. I, honestly, my dad, uh, I feel like it is probably gives the best advice or at least the, the advice that resonated the most with me. Two things that he would always say. One was you can lie to everybody in the world, but you can't lie to the man in the mirror. I think that's an incredibly powerful thing when it comes to self-reflection and, and critically thinking Yes, and humbling yourself. So I'd say that's huge. And then I don't know if this is advice, but he would always say, you know, 99% of the luckiest people in the world are the hardest workers. And that always resonated with me. Control what you can control. You know, you will never outwork me. That's the one thing I know I can control and and I can be an absolute animal about and I will. And then, you know, I know I and everybody else in this world need some lucky breaks too. Don't get me wrong. We talked about some of those earlier in this podcast, but um, I I really think that holds true that 99% of the the luckiest people in the world are also the hardest workers. I agree with that. I'm going to flip it now and ask you, what would be the best piece of advice that you would give someone? Honestly, I think I think 90% of this comes down to, I'm going to sound like Nike here and say, just do it. I, I think you'll be able to find every reason in the world not to do something. Again, it could be a family. It could be a mortgage. It could be a stable job when it comes to taking the leap and being an entrepreneur. But I, I think if you have that in you, if you have that itch and, and that uh, it's not even in the back of your mind, if it's at the forefront of your mind and, and you know it, it drives you crazy and you can't sleep at night, just do it. Uh, you won't regret it. It'll be incredibly hard and incredibly challenging, but also incredibly rewarding. And, and you'll never regret it uh, if you do take that leap. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this. I'll share real quickly. Uh, so our two minute drill will be a little bit longer. Uh, I, I have a friend who uh, runs a company out in Chicago. Uh, he, it's called Shedwool. It's a scheduling app for the restaurant industry. And uh, he and I would talk quite a bit as I was getting ready to leave my my corporate job. And I, I had a date. I was like, I'm leaving on this date. And that date came and went. And he's like, when are you leaving, Jen? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a couple more months. I'm like, I got to, you know, I, I'm going to. He's like, just do it. He's like, just go. And I, yeah, I pushed it back a couple times. I ended up leaving on. So my dad had passed away unexpectedly uh, four years ago. Many people listening know that. But I ended up leaving on my dad's birthday or what would have been his birthday. So it was the best date to leave. But and then I went on this journey. COVID hit. Not once did I regret that decision to leave. I'm like, dang, I should have left sooner. Right? Yeah. It was a great date. But yeah. once you get into it, and this isn't just true for entrepreneurship, it's anything, right? It's not just going to do a business. Just get out there and do it. If there's something that you're passionate about, stop yeah. making excuses. And beyond that, I think it's so easy to think that it's rocket science until you've done it. But just just do it. I promise you, you know, other than rocket science, nothing is rocket science. Like you, You'll be able to figure it out. It doesn't Absolutely. matter. You and I are lawyers and look at it like, what do we know? What what the hell did I know about ice cream? Nothing. Um, you know, you can you can figure it out. Right. And I think that goes to people being confident. Confident doesn't mean you know everything. It means that you're you believe in your ability to figure it out and high performing people. You put them in any situation and they'll figure it out. I completely agree. All right. So my next question is, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? Here's something most people probably don't know about me, at least outside looking in, is um, I'm from, you know, your quintessential one stoplight town, like tiny town, like very few people go to college uh, from it. You know, a lot of people go straight into the workforce, uh, construction or something else uh, or the military. Um, And I I could not be more proud um, to be from that town. I think there's so much 
so much it, it helps keep you grounded but it's something it's like the foothills of the blue ridge mountains right in central virginia and uh so i'm not from you know a, a big city or, or you know didn't go to prep schools or any of that kind of stuff you know i just went to public high school in in the rural town that i grew up in gotcha and then the last question that i have for you is if you could be any superhero who would it be and why I love this question because, you know, hey, do you want to fly? You know, do you want to be invisible? What do you want to do? I think I would go, I'm going to go with Thor. Um, okay. I'm a big, I'm a big Thor fan, but, you know, I think it's something about, uh, I don't know, if you watch the movies, I, I like, I like his journey more than the other ones where like, you know, he, he, he was kind of a cocky, uh, you know, arrogant guy who got humbled time and time again, but kind of, you know, matured into the cockiness, matured into confidence. Who he ends up being, I think, is uh, pretty awesome. And, you know, if I had a big hammer and could conjure lightning, you know, things could be worse. <laughs> Great answer. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Everyone listening, go out. If you haven't tried Halo Top before, go out and try it. It's great. It's a healthier uh, choice to the sugar-filled, fattier ice cream. It's a higher protein content, lower sugar. So uh, you could eat it every day if you work out, too. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. Jen, thanks for having me. This is fun. It was great. I really appreciate the insights and the lessons that you shared. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And until next time, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.